Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin was not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. These last weeks, we have been in a series titled The Gospel, and in that series, I just took various texts that I have used to support walking through books of the Bible, but had not spoken specifically on, and just opened those up and preached those particular texts in, in, the, in kind of isolation to the rest of the book, in, in one sense. And all of those texts bolster the fact that God has provided a righteousness for us. That's what the gospel is about, that he has provided a righteousness in the success of his son and what his son accomplished that he will give to us. It's an alien righteousness. doesn't reside in us. It, it is what he accomplished, and he gives it to us. And we talked about the whole idea of imputation, that something can be imputed to us, given to us, that is not inherent within us, but outside of us, and it's imputed, it's, it's given to us. We spent a lot of time talking about that. And uh, this morning, the text that we're going to look at bolsters that truth. It, uh, it supports that truth. And again, I'm going to look at a text that, that uh, really could have fit into that series, if you will, but a, a text that so plainly, maybe as plain as any other text in Scripture, presents to us the doctrine of imputation, that we, in fact, can get something outside of ourselves given to us. In fact, we had two things really given to us outside of ourselves in one sense. That's what this text talks about, and we want to get into it this morning. So let's pray, and then we're going to look at it this morning. Father, this truth is so precious and so important. And we really are going to skim over the top of these texts this morning. We can't burrow down deep into them today. But I pray, Father, that 
that you will take this truth that is presented here by Paul, this argument, if you will, of the Apostle Paul, and, and help us to see it as as precious as it is, and, and maybe for the first time see it as precious, Lord. We just pray that you will help us, Lord, that you'll take your word. You promise that your word will not return void. And so we stand on that promise this morning as we look at this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul uses typology in this text. Uh, Typology is what's used in a lot of scripture. A lot of the Old Testament um, truths that we get there are, are types of something else that's coming. They aren't the real thing, but there's pictures of what's to coming. They leave us hanging for something else to come. And that's what typology does. Typology is a pattern or a foreshadowing, if you will. And uh, one example of that that we had in that series is, as we came to the table the first of this month, we talked about Jesus being the true temple. He told the religious leaders, destroy this temple and I'll raise it in three days. What did he mean? What he really meant is I'm the true temple. The temple in the Old Testament was just a picture, was just a shadow. It was the place where people met God. And so now we have the true temple, the place that people are reconciled to God, both Old and New Testament people, is Christ, is in what he's done because he was successful. He has caused the alienation we had with God to be reconciled for all who will trust in that and rest in that. So you see, that's a picture, that's a shadow, that's a type. And this morning, in the text, it just comes right out and says it. It's not something we have to to tell you that the scripture does, it says that what we're talking about here is a type. Look at it with me in verse 14. It says, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who were sin- whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. And then it says this, who was a type, a type of the one who was to come. Who was Adam a type of? Who was he a foreshadowing of? Christ. That's what the text plainly tells us. And so then Paul goes on in the text to to break out that comparison, if you will. It, It really is by way of comparison and contrast that Adam is a type, or by way of similarity and differences. That's the kind of method that Paul uses in this text to show that Adam was a type. And so what we want to do this morning, quickly really, we can't, as a can't go as deep as we'd like, but we want to show the ways in which Paul takes this argument to tell us that Adam was a type of Christ, and oh, what a precious, precious thing it is to see this truth. The key verse is in verse 19. Um, If you look at that verse, it really sums up everything that is in this particular text for us today. It sums up the whole of it, and look at it, what it says in verse 19, for as the one man's sin, or by the one man's sin, disobedience, uh, let me start over there, for as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. You see, there's the, there's the comparison, there's the similarity and difference kind of mode of that type that we find in this text. And, and what Paul does in the rest of the text, really, <clears throat> is it shows us how, in fact, he can come to that conclusion. And the way he comes to that conclusion is, is to say this, 
Adam's disobedience, that original sin that Adam committed in the garden, his disobedience becomes ours. That sin that Adam committed in that garden is imputed to us. We didn't, we didn't actually do that sin, but in some mysterious way, that sin is imputed to us. All mankind sins in Adam. That's the truth that the Old Testament teaches us. That's what it teaches us in the book of, of Genesis. And just as Christ's obedience, which we didn't participate in, his perfect obedience, his success in living and dying, we didn't actually participate in that, and yet we do if we trust in Christ. We participate in that obedience. That's what it means to be in Christ. And so that's the comparison and contrast that is drawn up in this text. It's mysterious. It, it will stretch your mind to try to come to grips with that. But don't let the stretching of your mind cause you to discard it. Be very careful how quickly you discard it. The doctrine of original sin, that's really what we're talking about. That's what's talked about here. That original sin in Adam, we participated in that. We're in Adam. And the righteousness of Christ for all who believe, we're able to participate in that perfection as well. And both of those things become imputed to us. That's how we get them, if we get them at all. We certainly get the first, whether we get the second or not. But they both are imputed to us. Verse 14, look at the text there. It says, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Now, what Paul is doing, actually between, in, in one sense, between verse 12 and verse 19 of this passage, he does more than this, but one of the things he's doing is coming against arguments, coming against things that would distort that truth, the, the truth of those two imputations, if you will. And he comes against them, and we don't have time to, to go into all of the detail of how he comes against them. Lord willing, my hope is this fall that we're going to begin a trek through the book of Romans. We're going to get James next week, and James through the summer, and then after the book of James, Lord willing, Romans. And we will take time to slow down and to see what I'm going to tell you it says to you today. And I would say to you, listen, don't discard it, but come back to make sure what I'm telling you is true. Because it's so crucial. It's not enough just to say it's true. And Paul doesn't just say it's true. He shows us why it's true. We just don't have time to go there this morning. We will, Lord willing. And certainly you can go there on your own. But what I want us to do is to understand that in this text, what, what Paul is arguing and, and wrestling to convey is that all die ultimately because we sinned in Adam. Death comes to all men, it says in that text. It says, um, 
in, the verse, in verse 12, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men. All men. But how did it spread? Did it spread because they sinned? Was it their sin they participated in in the sense that they committed? Or was it because they participated in the sin that Adam committed? Those are, those are two different things and both will condemn you But the point Paul is making here is that that grounds of our condemnation began when somehow mysteriously we sinned in Adam. We participated in Adam's sin. He, if you will, was our representative head. That's what it says in the book of Genesis. He was our representative head that somehow God in his mysterious mysterious will chose Adam to be the representative, and God always chooses the best. R.C. Sproul would say, if you wrestle with this, understand God always chooses the best. We want to say, don't we? I'll be my own representative, thank you. But then look at your own life and see how it turned out when you were your own representative. Did you not also sin? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But The grounds of the sin he's talking about here and the death that came to all men is rooted in the sin of Adam. That sin was imputed. That original sin came to us. And it was credited to our account and left us at a horrible deficit in our account. Sproul, as I said, would say that God picked the best representative And we somehow have to leave it there, believing that. But be careful to not discard it. Because if you discard that, if you discard that, what I'm going to tell you now, you also have to discard. You can't take half of the ledger and leave the other half on the table. You have to take them both. They both come together. Both in this text come together. That somehow... Adam's sin is imputed to all men and all men die because of it and God is just and he would not cause death except there was just cause for it. And also, he says, that we can participate, if you will, in Christ's success. We participate in his perfect obedience and that too can be credited to our account. One writes it this way, And writes it this way because what they say in it is that in this we see the glory of our justification. If you leave the first part on the table and only take the second part, you will not understand the glory of your justification as you should. It will not be precious, as precious as it should be to you. Because you don't see the full orb view of it all. He writes this, the basis of our vindication and acceptance before God is not our righteous deeds. The basis of our vindication and acceptance before God is not our righteous deeds, but Christ's righteousness imputed to us. Just as death did not ultimately come because we sinned individually, but because all sinned in Adam and his sin was imputed to us. Imputation is the most glorious doctrine in all of Scripture. This text is one of the most glorious texts in all of Scripture as it compares 
being in Adam versus being in Christ. And when it talks about being in Adam, it's talking about that imputation that we sinned in Adam when he sinned. But the other side of the coin is when Christ performed his perfect righteousness, we somehow mysteriously participated in that with him if we are in Christ. And it is credited to our account. It is not, justification is not about some righteousness that God sees in us, inherent in us, or some righteousness that he puts part of it in and we finish. That is not the gospel. The gospel is we are vindicated by the righteousness of Christ, the imputed righteousness of Christ to us. Now, let's look at the text for a moment. Let's look quickly, but let's look at at how much better it is, that imputation, than the first. How much glorious it is, how much, how much grander it is. And it says it beginning in verse 15. Just listen to the words. Listen to the way Paul writes this. He says, but the free gift, the free gift, the imputation of Christ's righteousness, is not like the trespass, the imputation of Adam's sin. For if many died through one man's trespass, and that's a key sentence, one man's trespass. Again, that's the, that we sin in Adam, his trespass. Much more have the grace of God and the free gift of grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. Again, one man, who? Adam. For the judgment following one trespass, trespass of Adam, brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. What does that mean? Many trespasses. I thought it was we participated in the sin of Adam. And that's what was imputed to us. That's true. But folks, we have committed many more sins, haven't we? All of us have. All of us have. That's why... If, if you're wrestling and worrying about the imputation of Adam's sin to you, I say to you again, if you'd have been your own representative, how well would you've done? That's why it says many trespasses. Many trespasses is what Christ succeeded in overcoming. His perfection aids us and helps us in. Again, it goes on and says in verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, again, that one man, which one man? Adam and Adam's sin. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace, the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. It's a gift. It's not something that resides in us. God doesn't look down one day and, and, uh, say that you can enter into my kingdom, you can reign with me because of something inherent within us. It's something that was given to us. It was a righteousness that Christ performed and gave to us to be credited to our account of perfection. It goes on and says, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. We will reign 
friends, as kings and queens. We will reign. There's a reign given to us as God's people, as those who participated in what Christ has done and are seen as those who participated in that. The same way we participated in the sin of Adam. Both of those things are the gospel. Both of those things, one, the reason for the need of it, and secondly, the gospel itself. And both come to those by imputation. By imputation. That should, I hope, bring deep assurance to you. I don't think you are much different than me. And I hope that there's a sense in your life that you don't want somebody just to tell you you're okay, but to give you reason for it. That's what theology is about. That's why, that's why these texts are written. That's why Paul labored, and we will go into it in the coming months, Lord willing, why he labored in this text to make sure people understood it. Because it's the ground of their reconciliation. It's the ground of of being reconciled to God and having their sin forgiving and knowing that it will not be held against them. But for who? For whom is that available? Does the text give us a clue? And I think it does as you read that text this morning. You go on to say that it is available for all those who have union with Christ. If we're in union with his death, then we have life. And how do we get in union with that life? How do we become connected to that life? The scripture tells us in verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man. Jesus Christ. Will we receive it? We participated in the sin of Adam. It came to us. And we stand guilty, not only by that sin, but our own sin since. And the the dilemma is there. Do we remain in that? Do we remain dead in Adam? Or do we look to the imputation of Christ? to the success of Christ, to the perfection of Christ, and, and look and receive that to be our own. Put our hope in that. There's a universal sense in which this text stands. Universal sense in which it stands. It is written not to just a, a, a few people. It's not written to just Western Europeans. It's written to the whole world. Why? How do we know that? Because Adam is the father of all men. The reason it is so important to understand the comparison between Adam and Christ is one of the significant things about that is it, it, isn't, it isn't that Christ is some kind of tribal deity. He is a deity for all men because all men are in Adam. All men have sinned in Adam. All men and are without excuse. And so where do we look? We look to the one who was promised to be the blessing to the nations, to Christ. 
Abraham was given a promise that through you, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. All the nations. Not just a few. Not just the Jewish people. But all the nations would be blessed through those Jewish people. And the way they were blessed is that this type of Adam was to come and save all those who have the sin of Adam that needs to be overcome. And that includes all men everywhere. Everywhere. And again, the conclusion is we must receive it. The question is, have we received it? What do we receive? You receive both of those things that I've talked about. You first have to receive the bad news that you sinned and participated in the Adam, in the sin of Adam. And also then look to the good news to realize that the only hope we have is if there's another way that something can be imputed to us. And the gospel is that there is. That the righteousness of Christ, the success that he prayed for in the garden, and accomplished and was declared finished by the resurrection can be ours. That's the hope of this Easter. That's the hope and the reason why we come. His perfect work for us, all of it, look away from our own sin and to the righteousness of Christ. That's what it is to be a Christian. Humbly, humbly receive all that God is for us in Christ. Worship team is going to come this morning and I want you to just go back to that insert that's in your bulletin. I thought a lot about it this week. And the longer that I am here at Richland, it seems the longer this list gets and the more it becomes filled with those for whom I have preached to for 38 years now. Preach this gospel. And the reason we can look at a list like this and have hope is because of that gospel, because of the truth of Romans chapter 5, because of the truth of the imputation. Not long ago, in fact, in the series in which we were participating in, the gospel series, someone gave me a sticky note something that they had pinned and asked me, is this, is this what you're saying when you talk about the imputation of the righteousness of Christ? This is what I'm hearing you saying, and there's nothing more encouraging to me over these 38 years than to have people do that, to, 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 to write something, take time to write it or to say it. And, and I come to the realization that we are hearing it, that we are receiving it, that it's becoming part of our lives. And this is what they wrote. A proverb, they would call it, if you will. Because of the first Adam, I was declared unrighteous when I was born. That's true, original sin. Because of the second Adam, I was declared righteous when I was born again when I was made alive in Christ, when I looked away from my own efforts to be righteous to the righteousness of Christ, and I put my hope and my faith in his righteousness, his perfection, 
that he accomplished outside of me. That there is a mysterious realization that as we participated in the first sin, we also participate in that righteousness by faith. I hope that's a reality in your life, that you know what it is to not be dead in Christ, but to be, excuse me, dead in, in Adam, but to be alive in Christ. Dead in the first Adam, or alive in the second. That's the gospel. That's the hope. We're going to sing it again this morning. It's a mystery, an incredible mystery. Let's stand. Come behold the wondrous mystery In the dawning of the King He the theme of heaven's praises Robed in frail humanity In our longing, in our darkness Now the light of life has come Look to Christ who condescended Took on flesh to ransom us Come behold the wondrous mystery He the perfect Son of Man In His living, in His suffering Neither trace nor stain of sin See the true and better Adam Come to save the hellbound man Christ the great and sure fulfillment Of the law in Him we stand Christ the Lord upon the tree In the stead of ruined sinners Thank the Lamb in victory See the price of our redemption See the Father's plan unfold Bringing many sons to Great.
grateful that you have given us this picture through the Apostle Paul. This picture of a universal reality that we either are in the first Adam or the second. In the first, we have death and alienation from you. In the second, we have reconciliation Father, there's no middle ground. It's one or the other. And I pray this morning, Father, that that we will see that. That we will see the incredible, abounding grace of our God in Christ who was willing to pay the price for many trespasses. Oh, Lord, my trespasses were and are many. And it's why your son shuddered as he looked into that cup because he was going to pay the price, the horrific price of successfully causing you to be able to forgive that. Lord, I pray that we will go with that hope this morning. It will strengthen us in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in God's peace.